Welcome to a very exciting episode, the first episode of the Incomplete Truth Podcast. Yay! My name is Hire, and I will be co-hosting this mini-series with my lovely friend, Shamantha, here today. So, we started this podcast because we wanted to cover issues that are not typically discussed in our mainstream media or our educational institutions. As youth trying to navigate the world, we believe it's really important for us to get accurate information so that we can form our own thoughts and actions. But unfortunately, we don't always get access to accurate information. That's why we decided to delve into certain topics a little bit more on our own through our own research and would like to share our findings and the voices that we think we should be hearing from in our mainstream media and our educational sources through this mini-series. Specifically for this mini-series, we wanted to focus on the intersection between the Canadian healthcare system and the environment and its relationship with minority populations, specifically with the Indigenous community. But before we get into all the nitty-gritty details about our topic, we think it would be best for us to introduce ourselves a little bit better to context. For, as mentioned before, my name is Hire. I am a South Asian woman who grew up in Singapore. I was born there, my family's from there, and we moved to Canada when I was 10 years old in search of, you know, just a better life. I spent my time growing up in Vancouver. I moved to Toronto. I'm currently back in Singapore, so I've moved around quite a bit. I've experienced a bunch of different environments as well. I recently graduated from the University of Toronto with a BA in political science and psychology and I'm now working in a consulting firm where we provide consulting services for social good organizations, nonprofits, and charities. My experience as an immigrant has taught me a lot, but the most important thing it has taught me is that we as minorities really need to be empathetic towards each other and stand up for each other, especially since colonization has all affected us in some way. Now, growing up in Canada as an immigrant has generally been quite positive for me, but it did not come without its hardships. I was made to feel very ashamed of my background when I was growing up because others projected that on me. It wasn't until I started educating myself about social issues that I really stepped into my heritage and started to feel proud of who I was. And mind you, it was the education that I sought out for myself that helped, not the ones that I was exposed to in school. This is honestly one of the reasons why I decided to join this podcast project. I believe that education, real discussions, and accurate representation of minorities can help others feel better in their own skin and feel empowered in a world dominated by white men. Yes, please do say it louder for the for the people in the back. This is, you know, similar to the classic divide and conquer strategy that's been employed time and time again by those in power. And, you know, like you said, the only way forward is for colonized and marginalized communities to build alliances and, you know, recognize what brings us together. And it really is quite inter interesting to, to think about this intersection between our identities and our citizenship and, and where we think we belong. This intersection really defines a lot, a lot of people and the way that they feel and navigate the world. And so it's so important for us to explore. So I'm really glad that you brought that up, Sham. And while we're at it, uh, Sham, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? 
For sure, I I can do that. Um, hi, my name is Samantha. I am a child of Bangladeshi immigrants who, you know, always talk about how they sacrifice a very comfortable life um, in the name of giving us the first generation a better future. In terms of my educational background, I, you know, I devoted a big chunk of my life to science, and I'm in that lane and field of um, field of work as well. I grew up mostly in Toronto and a little bit of Windsor and a bit of Ottawa, um, and I completed my undergrad focusing in health and disease at the University of Toronto. So I'm currently also studying brain health uh, in military personnel through the use of neuroimaging techniques uh, at the at the Center for Addiction and Mental Health in Toronto. Uh, so diving into a little bit about how we started thinking about all of this and you know where we got started in general, it was really during the end of undergrad and early pandemic when a few brilliant students in public health, I, we came together to talk about something that we named and we coined this term together called FBAM, which stands for Environment Policy and uh, Public Health Action Messaging. And so as the name suggests, our vision here was essentially to bring conversations related to the environment and public health from, a, from the realm of academia really to the broader society and have that access um, exist. So the aim for, for this specific platform was originally to draw out and amplify voices that are often unheard or missed, you know, as a way of empowering broader society. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We sought out to understand the intersection between the environment and healthcare in Canada. And as students of academia, our primary goal was to uh, decenter and unsettle this Western authority over knowledge. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we wanted to start this conversation by inviting members of the Indigenous institution to share their mm-hmm. knowledge systems and practices in health. Mm-hmm. And while pursuing this topic, you know, it allows us to amplify Indigenous voices in a perspective that we have not really heard in our educational institutions. I really think it's important for us to acknowledge uh, that many from the Indigenous community are uh, often unable to receive treatment from our federal and provincial healthcare system because of the systemic racism and prejudice that exists. But before I dive in deeper um, into that, I also want to make a disclaimer and note that I myself am limited in my knowledge about the Indigenous communities and culture. And when I reflect back, uh, I realize that this can be attributed to the public or Catholic education system that I grew up learning in. And in school, I was taught that Indigenous history was really a tale of the past. So I moved to Windsor um, at the age of 10, and I made I was fortunate enough to make a few friends who identified themselves as First Nations who were living in Essex County at our elementary school. From when I look back at, at my experiences back then, never quite really understood why, you know, these students would have, they would sometimes uh, skip a lot of days at school. It would be seven days in a row or a whole two weeks later, they won't show up to school. And they never made it to high school with the rest of us. So we, we didn't really have much context about this. 
and what was going on. All I remember are fragments of conversations. Um, and one of my friends specifically, uh, she told me about how much the, their families endured for generations because of the Canadian residential school system. And she also revealed the a little bit about the ugly truth behind the reserves, um, how it, it was really a colonial mandate to, you know, quote unquote, civilize the indigenous community to agricultural, social and political reforms. And, and let's not forget the influence of the church, but that was uh, placed onto the indigenous community. They shared, you know, fragments of stories that also revealed the removal of indigenous children from their families. Mm, yeah. uh, who, who are essentially uh, separated from their communities, their native languages and heritage, and how painful that was for their families. What was one of the first things that I took note of. The more important question that I wanted to ask here is that where do we as first-generation immigrants uh, fit into this picture? Often newcomers who come to Canada are, they're sold the American dream and you know they're lured into this into these foreign lands um, with the promise of better future or better opportunities. Um, and, you know, I can definitely relate with, in terms of what my parents had thought that would look like, but they're often ignorant of the fact that this is stolen land. So what about immigrants and non-Indigenous people that come to this colonized land to essentially join the British and French settlers colonial project of reaping mm -hmm. the benefits of settling on indigenous lands. Are we then unknowingly complicit in this settler state formation? Um, or are we being fed the untold truth about indigenous communities? Mm -hmm. Where do we stand? And what would you say here? Like, where do you stand on this? Honestly, you bring up such an important point. This idea of you know pursuing the quote unquote American dream has been drilled to so many people and that was something that i bought into growing up you know my family bought into it growing up and that's why we moved across the world in pursuit of a better life a more open life and it wasn't really until we landed and we you know were here for a few years that we realized that we were really on stolen land that's not something that people really think about that's not something that you really want to think about it just make you feel good right about the choices that you make but it is very important to acknowledge so i grew up in vancouver and i learned a little bit about indigenous history in school um, both in elementary school but mostly in high school um, so through my knowledge and through my learnings i found out that there are certain pieces of land that belong to specific tribes um, so, for example, UBC sat on Indigenous land. I learned some facts, you know. So, I learned a little bit about portaging. I learned about how the Hudson Bay Company, the French and the British, mistreated Indigenous peoples. Um, but it was all presented as, like, an act of the past, right? And it wasn't until I went to university that I really learned more about the residential school system more about like the truth and the suffering that the indigenous population had to go through and how harmful the impact of colonization has been for the community and the genocide they faced because this whole topic about genocide was never brought up in high school 
You know, my education in high school, like I said before, taught me that although the indigenous community were was mistreated, you know, I was particularly shocked when I took a class about indigenous history at U of T and it was taught by a white man who also acknowledged how crazy it was that he was teaching this course when there's so many qualified people who should be teaching this course and you know are closer to the history um, and can really convey everything that happened after that um, you know I was developing a program at U of T where I decided to actively incorporate um, indigenous voices and indigenous curriculum and it was only then I truly realized how racist educational institutions like public universities can be in acknowledging the past and the present and the treatment of certain minority groups. Despite my learnings in elementary school and in high school, I do have to say that was always a feeling that stuck with me when I was growing up and I was learning about these things. You know, as mentioned before, although we talked about the indigenous peoples in the context of history, I couldn't really help notice some of the attitudes and the tones that some of my teachers and some of the adults around me took when they were speaking about this population. And I do have to say, it was not a pleasant attitude. I remember narratives such as, you know, quote unquote, indigenous peoples are lazy or that they're alcoholics being pushed and really pushing the blame onto this community for their so-called what lack of progress without really addressing how colonization started and is continuing to contribute to the suppression and oppression of that community. Um, and that's honestly insane. I remember something that happened a few years ago when I was taking this indigenous history course in like my fourth year of university. And I was near a reserve in Vancouver with a friend and one of their family members. And I think we were just discussing the area that we were in. And I remember them saying, oh, you're just going to see a bunch of drunk indigenous peoples here all the time. And I was quite shocked. Specifically around that time, I was taking that indigenous history course and I was taking time to learn more about the indigenous community. And I couldn't really believe that someone so close to me had expressed these kinds of attitudes. And it was really the undertone that got to me, you know, because it was the undertone of pushing this blame towards a community rather than acknowledge everything that happens and has happened to the community. And, you know, it just made me realize that it's always half the story that was told in school. Um, and it was always told in a negative light. And you know what? This kind of narrative is extremely dangerous. You know, although I decided to educate myself when I was in university, if I hadn't decided to take that step, I probably would have the same attitudes as some people around me have, you know, because I was taught growing up that my teachers and the adults around me were reliable sources of information, but they aren't always. 
And so this is why we need to have these conversations. And this is why we really need to learn about these things, do our own learning and push our education systems to be more inclusive and to reflect a large and diverse range of voices. Yeah, absolutely. I I can't help but like ask you one question. And, mm-hmm. and I'm just curious um, in terms of your experience with, uh, you know, in high school and whatnot and everything that you said, like reflecting back, I can... I can relate to and I think it was similar for me to learning and growing up learning about the indigenous community but you know when talking about like residential uh school systems and when you said that you know your teachers also reflected on it do you find that what you were taught about residential school systems was that like did we get the accurate portrayal of what what like what type of atrocities went on there no no way this was not discussed at all and it's quite appalling that i had to be 18 and in university in a first year course to learn about residential schools i don't remember learning about it at all in high school and if it was mentioned it was not mentioned to the degree of what actually happened which is insane. It's also insane that it had gone on for so long and recently ended in 1996. That's absolutely crazy. And I know it's different in different areas in Canada. So with this lack of standard education, people are learning different things. Um, So I'm really curious as well, you know, just to throw it back at you, Sham, what did you learn about the residential schools growing up? I mean, I want to say like going to a Catholic high school, um, ever talking about the influence of church, for example, in a negative mm. light was was impossible, right? Finding out that the church had a big hand behind these residential schools was was actually something that I recently learned in light of the recent events that had occurred. For me, I come to realize that I don't really know much. And, and like I said, I was making this disclaimer earlier, um, to have an opportunity to speak to someone uh, directly, it really brings me back to all the questions I had and I was confused about before, but I never really thought I was in a place that I could ask. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what better way to learn about Indigenous culture and history than inviting them to come and share a few words of uh, wisdom with us? Yeah, and I guess what we need to do is recover the voices of racialized and colonized peoples in order to understand the downstream effects um, of colonial history. One thing I want to mention is that, you know, although Sham and I have expressed that we are minorities, we need to recognize that we have a level of privilege in Canada that does not subject us to the treatment that Indigenous folks face. And that's why we really need to educate ourselves. We need to educate our communities. We need to speak up about these issues and we really need to amplify Indigenous voices in spaces. And um, just... On that note, I do want to add that I uh, I think the word education is, is a broad term. And from my point of view, it's really the lack of knowledge, too, about the about the other mm-hmm. group that sort of creates a divide, um, prevents us from building alliances between oppressed communities. And in order to build those relationships, that requires us to inform one another about each other's cultures, stories and colonial history through a creation of a dialogue. Mm-hmm. And, you know, while acknowledging these decolonization struggles, I also want to go back to how both minority groups in Canada and Indigenous communities, they share 
experiences, though different experiences, but uh, they do share the experiences of unequal access to healthcare services. Cross-cultural differences can have a significant effect on yeah. factors like communication, mm -hmm. you know, perception of uh, health risk, people's ideas of the prevention of disease, and mm -hmm. of information-seeking patterns. That differs culture to culture. Not to mention, we know that language barriers exist, and also how how much we tend to value Western medicine and consider mm -hmm. it superior to other cultures or cultural traditions, indigenous systems of knowledge or alternative practices in medicine. Yeah. And although Canada tends to take pride in its decentralized uh, universal health system, the Canada Health Act of 1984, also known as mm -hmm. Medicare, remains silent in its relationship to the indigenous healthcare system. And aside from these healthcare inequities, there's also uh, further uh, challenges that mm. exist that we know and we're aware of. And some of this can look like, you know, wait times for elective yeah. care or social determinants of health and the problem of the aging population and disorders related to that. So what all of this really bottles down to is that there is currently a growing need to refocus our efforts on preventative health. We, we need to do so in order to empower individuals to take control of, of their long-term health. And this has to be done in a culturally sensitive manner that allows for equal access. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when we decided to do research on this topic, we were actually trying to source out preventative practices that could fit into our current healthcare model. And we actually came across a study discussing how practices at the Turtle Lodge, which is an indigenous education and wellness center in Manitoba, have actually improved the healthcare of residents in that community. So we decided to get in touch with the leaders at Turtle Lodge to learn more about their practices and their approach to healthcare. And we are glad to say in the upcoming episodes, we get to discuss this topic in further detail with Elder Dave Krishan, an uh, Indigenous elder and also the founder of Turtle Lodge, and Dr. Uh, Sabina Jazz, who's a practicing physician at the Turtle Lodge. Um, in order to really uh, learn more about their specific approach to healthcare and what that looks like. To be an ally to the community, it's crucial for us to acknowledge this and educate ourselves accurately to support the Indigenous community. We believe that having these conversations is the first step to educating ourselves and we really encourage you to actually have these conversations yourself. You know, um, this is not a comprehensive podcast. This is not reflective of all of Indigenous voices out there. And so it's so important um, and we really want to inspire you listening to go out and do your own research and have those conversations. Yeah, and in many ways, the, the mini-series is, is about hope. Uh, through our conversations, we hope to uncover ways we can all be more uh, empathetic toward each other and develop a culture of mutual learning. We are extremely honored to be joined by Elder Dave in the next episode, who will be introducing the Indigenous perspective. And mm -hmm. before even talking about healthcare, it's important to gain an understanding of what being Indigenous entails and what practices are essential and why. Yeah, of course. 
So as mentioned before, we want to reiterate that this conversation is not comprehensive of all Indigenous practices or perspectives, and we really hope that you take this as a first step and inspiration to go out there and have some of these conversations yourself with those part of the community, right? This is a space where we are open to learning more about a community, which we feel that we have not had the chance to learn about. And we really hope you stick around for our next episode because we can't wait to share our conversation with Elder Dave. So stay tuned and we'll see you next time. Bye.